You are listening to Love Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Brunswick, Maine. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Here are some highlights from this week's program. And I think that actually eased my, I was never starstruck by anyone. It's, it's interesting to see some of these people, they get nervous around them and don't know how to act. And it's, it was an easier transition to work with these people that I wasn't starstruck by them. So it was more like they were, we were, we were, um, what's the word? Not companions, um, peers. contemporaries. Thank you. And peers. More so than being nervous about working with someone and, and not doing, letting those nerves affect what you're doing. Um, we had our 10th anniversary in August. So it was, it's pretty amazing. If I'd ever thought, you know, I would say Lyle Lovett and Aaron Neville would be in my backyard. I, I would, you know, think you were crazy, but um, but everybody else thought we were crazy, and we did do it, I guess. This is Dr. Lisa Belisle, and you are listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 265, Entertaining Maine, airing for the first time on Sunday, October 16, 2016. Maine is home to a broad diversity of talented artists, actors, and musicians. Today, we speak with two individuals who are not only accomplished artists in their own right, but have also made it their mission to bring other talented people to our home state. George Dvorsky is an actor and entertainer who is also the creative director for Vinegar Hill Music Theater, which is completing its first season. Carol Noonan is a national recording artist and singer-songwriter who co-founded and runs Stone Mountain Art Center in Brownfield. Thank you for joining us. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Berlin City Honda where the car buying experience is all about easy. After all, life is complicated enough and buying a car shouldn't be. That's why the Berlin City Honda team goes the extra mile by pre-discounting all their vehicles and focus their efforts on being open, honest, and all about getting you on the road. In fact, Berlin City recently won the 2015 Women's Choice Award, a strong testimony to their ability to deliver a different kind of car buying experience. Berlin City Honda of Portland, easy. It's how buying a car should be. Go to BerlinCityHondaMe.com for more information. People who are longtime listeners of Love Main Radio know that I love music, and it's always fun to have people in the studio with me who feel exactly the same way. And actually, this individual, George Dvorsky, has taken his love of music to a whole new level. George Dvorsky is an accomplished actor and entertainer who brings deep and diverse experience with him to Vinegar Hill Music Theater. He was appointed creative director in March 2016 for the venue's inaugural season. George has starred in numerous Broadway, off-Broadway, and regional productions across the country. New England audiences will know him from his extensive work at the Cape Playhouse, Main State Music Theater, North Shore Music Theater, and the Agunquit Playhouse. And there's so much more to talk about with you, but thanks so much for coming in. My pleasure. Good to be here. So tell me what it's like to be really devoted to music and have your life be all about music and and singing and bringing music to the greater public my mom said i sang before i spoke which is interesting because i stuttered as a kid but when i sang it was kind of like the mel tillis thing i would talk and stutter but i would sing and it would be clear so i've always music has always been a part of me and i it's funny because some people will say my brother-in-law said why don't you sing all the time i said because it's just so much innate and it's so much a part of me that I don't, when it's your job and a part of your life, you don't always just do it. 
So it's interesting that there's probably some singing that's going on internally, even as you're not, yes. even as you're talking. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. And actually, there is. I mean, I hear music all the time. I don't like to, even if I sit still, I like to have some music in the background. I don't, quiet doesn't really work for me. There's got to be some music in my life all the time. Were your parents musical? My father sang in a barbershop quartet in the service. He was in the army for a while, and I think that was basically it. My mom had, she would say she had no musical talent, but I would hear her singing. When I go home, I'd put some music on, and I'd hear her singing in the kitchen. She could sing, but my dad was the singer. And I'm youngest of five, and everyone has played an instrument and or basically sung, but I'm the only one that really took it and ran with it. So what... what part if you were going to be in a barbershop quartet what part would you be <laughs> interesting you ask years ago i sang tenor and when i first started out in this business i wanted to be a pop tenor and i was out in la and doing demos and warner brothers records was interested in me for the having the really high stuff recorded that they didn't have anyone else to do then i came back to new york and this coach i found said you're really a, a lyric baritone so i developed my lower register I'm lucky that I have both to draw from, but I, I would say now, just because I'm getting older, and he, as Ronan Tynan said, it's easier to be a baritone at this late stage of the game. So I'm a lyric baritone by by name. So tell me, what is a lyric baritone? You've got the heaviness of a baritone. Uh, most tenor voices are have a lighter timber to them, and they can get up into those top notes. I can still get to those top notes, but I don't want to sit up there. So if I can go up and hit them and come back down and then sit in the lower register for a while, it's much easier for those music- musicians out there. Well, I, I think it's an interesting conversation to have because I know there's enough people with enough musical background that many people will understand soprano, mm-hmm. alto, um, baritone. I don't know. Tenor is sort of above ten- baritone, is yes, that right? Yeah. Baritone and then Yeah, bass. you'll go bass, baritone, tenor for the three, and then a countertenor, which is kind of like a, a mezzo for a woman. It, it, the countertenors are so high, you sometimes confuse them with a, a lower mezzo voice for a woman. So there's, but it's interesting what those of us who know a little bit about music, what we understand as the divisions, but you're saying that there's an even greater breakdown. Yes. Um, yeah, it's funny to watch the singing competition shows, and you'll hear some of the quote-unquote stars talking about a woman singing in falsetto. A woman doesn't sing in falsetto. Men have a falsetto. Women have a head voice, and that's their natural voice. A, a, a falsetto means a false or a fake vibration of the chords, and that's what men, you know, if you go up here, that's falsetto for a guy, but a woman, that would be her head voice. So it, it, it's technical, but sometimes watching the voice in American Idol, I go, that's not what it really is. How has it been for you to um, work with the Vinegar Hill Music Theater in a really different uh, capacity? You've been a performer for such a long yes, time. Yes, in musical theater. And in a lot of people theater. have called. When this was announced, I was doing it. A lot of friends of mine from New York and around the area actually sent me scripts for their musicals or their plays. And I said, even though it's said it's a music theater, it's actually a concert venue. Growing up with so much music and being a child of the seventies, I my my <laughs> my listening is very eclectic. Uh, growing up, I was a huge. I'm, I'm an Olivia Newton John stalker. So I truly, when I when I finally met her, I was so excited. But I, I've listened to her from the day 
her, she sang her first note until now, and she's actually recording things now that people don't even know about. But just the diversity of my family and what we listened to with five of us being so different and my parents had. I mean, we never... We grew up listening to movie soundtracks, not cast albums. So it was interesting for me when I went moved to New York and met some of the legendary stars. I didn't know who they were so much because I knew, like for instance, John Raitt. I worked at John Raitt at the at Gunkwit Playhouse. He was original Billy Bigelow and Carousel. I was used to listening to Gordon McRae. So meeting Gordon McRae and Shirley Jones, those were the people that I listened to and tried to emulate whereas John was just a friend of mine and I know he's a Broadway star but he was just a good friend so that's how and I think that actually eased my I was never starstruck by anyone it's, it's interesting to see some of these people they get nervous around them and don't know how to act and it's, it was an easier transition to work with these people because I wasn't starstruck by them so it was more like they were we were we were um, what's the word not companions um Peers. Contemporaries, thank you, and peers, more so than being nervous about working with someone and and not doing, letting those nerves affect what you're doing. It was an easier transition for me. However, when I did work with Gordon McRae, I'll never forget this. That we we did Paint Your Wagon in Sacramento Music Circus, and I s- sat on stage. I was Jake Whippany, and he sang Mariah, and I thought, here's this kid from Irwin, Pennsylvania, sitting on stage with Gordon McRae five feet away from me singing this glorious song i thought this is who gets to i'm a lucky guy who gets to to realize those kind of dreams in their lifetime you're talking about um something that i think for many people can be very almost transcendent Mm -hmm. to hear the right music and by right i just mean sort of the resonant music from the person who seems to be able to bring it to life most effectively and it's something that we share with others Mm -hmm. really effectively is that one of the reasons that you like doing what you're doing now with vinegar hill yes i was going to say i didn't answer your original question so uh, thanks for thanks for circling back to that um having the background i do have a musical theater but also having the pop part of my life growing up I think that's that's why I was looking forward to taking on this job because I could bring in the acts that I knew of or uh, were familiar with or knew about just peripherally to bring them into Vinegar Hill and have them show the rest of the community what great talent and musicians that they are so that's been the fun part booking this talent and having people a lot of the, the people say, how did you get these people? A lot of them were friends. I called on favors. But there were some people who actually reached out to us because they heard about what a great venue it was. It's just been fun to have the diversity of so many different kinds of talent. And we have some speakers. We have some comedians. So it's just been fun to get as much. It's kind of like throwing things at a wall and see what sticks. It's been fascinating and interesting and fun. Vinegar Hill is literally a brand new venue this year, but yes. before that, it's had a long, long history as something else. It was the, what it's on the Smith Sisters farm. That's what this piece of land is. And the Smith Sisters, in the early 1900s, the barn was actually a mile down the road. They dismantled it, put it on horse and buggy, brought it down to the house, reconstructed it, and it's been there since the early 1900s. In 1989, Adrian Grant bought it to make it the Arundel Barn Playhouse. It was a non-equity summer stock theater for 
19 years, 18 seasons, and then Tim Harrington and Deb Lennon bought it last fall, and now it's the Vinegar Hill Music Theater. And people ask how that how it got that name. That part of land, there was a farmer further down the road that was on a grade. I'm not going to say a hill, but on a grade. And he had a bunch of apple trees, and he put all the apples in barrels, let them sit too long. The apples turned to cider. They dumped them out, and the vinegar ran down the hill, hence the name Vinegar Hill. That's a great story. That's the legend of it. It's not that far away from Kennebunk and Kennebunkport. Six miles. Yeah. When exactly. I th- when I think of... When I when I think of the Vinegar Hill Music Theater, it seems like it would be kind of out in the country, and it is a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it's really, I mean, it's right there. It's right yes, next to this. Yes, Kinnebunk and Arundel make a triangle basically. So they're all, and there's there is no downtown Arundel. It's funny because John Michael Coppola, who was the uh, Frankie Valley part of the Four C Notes, our opening act. <laughs> His thank you said, and I hope you support this theater. It's the it's the jewel of Arundel, and the audience all laughed. And he said, "What? What? What? I say wrong?" And I explained to him later. There, Arundel's, I guess, more just like a, a township. There's no real downtown area, as there is in Kinnebunk and Kinnebunkport. But it was also, I believe, that the author Kenneth Roberts originally wrote about Arundel, and Arundel was the greater name for this entire area. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot of history. Yes, in fact, um, I wrote this the article in our music notes, which is our playbill, and I did some research about the uh, we wanted to do music or the arts through the history of Kennebunk and Kennebunkport and Arundel, and there was an Arundel Opera Theater, and there was also the Kennebunkport Playhouse. So th- there was rich in history for the arts in that area. So we hope we're just carrying that on. Who have you had this past summer? Uh, Ronan Tynan, an amazing sold-out show. Linda Etter blew the roof off the place. Frenchie Davis from American Idol. She did an amazing show. And the biggest surprise, I will say, was John Davidson. I've known John for years, and the he and I, our paths have crossed before we even knew each other. The only time I was in People magazine, John was on the cover. And I was cast in the... Um, I did the Best of Whorehouse in Texas National Tour. That's why we were in People Magazine. And I stayed in L.A. for uh, a year after we had closed. My mom and my sister and my brother-in-law came to visit. And for some reason, I don't remember how we got tickets to the John Davidson show. He replaced Mike Douglas in his talk show. So I've always been aware of who John was, and my mom always loved him, and the whole Hollywood Squares thing, and then that's incredible. Well, I got cast in the off-Broadway production of The Fantastics, and they were advertising Aaron Carter, who was a pop, a teen pop idol. So I thought, well, it would be fun to go into the show. Well, I'm sitting there watching the show before I went started rehearsals, and John Davidson walked out, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to be working with John Davidson. Well, when we started, I started rehearsal, and you go into the show a week later, he and I became fast friends, so when he found out I was doing this, he called and said, I'd like to do my show up there. And I thought he would stand with a guitar and sing. And so he, I booked him on July 10th, a Sunday night. He, I was so proud of him and so blown away by the talent. He's 75 years old now. And we had about, a th- uh, I forget how many people were actually there, but there were people that just came thinking, oh, let's just come and see what the venue is. 
I've had people say if they had to pick their top 10 shows, he'd be in the top three. It was one of those old stars that they don't make anymore. And I know that sounds cliche, but it's actually true. The whole studio system of people that they... John was at, at the end of that. And to see him, he didn't just sing and he, he performed that night. And it was fascinating to see him hold the audience in the palm of his hand and be able to temper what he was doing and see the audience go with him. It was fascinating to watch. And like I said, people have said they would come back to see him in an instant. So he'll be back by popular demand. <laughs> It seems to me that the best performers, and maybe there aren't many of them, maybe you're saying that this is sort of, this is the old-fashioned kind Mm -hmm. of performer, um, are the ones who don't just go out and offer a show. They interact with the audience. They read the audience. There's an energy that goes back and forth, and people leave feeling differently than when they came in. Yes, I did a show off-Broadway in 2000 called Pete and Keeley, and it was a, a, we were a fictional couple, but it was kind of like a Steve and Edie type duo and Steve and Pete and Keeley were bigger than Frank and Judy and Steve and Edie and then then we got divorced because our lives did not gel like we thought we had separate careers that tanked so we were brought back together for one night on NBC sponsored by Swell Shampoo for the Pete and Keeley reunion special that was the show so it was kind of like Kiss Me Kate in the way that you saw us on stage and off stage during commercial breaks we'd have fights and I'd say, you know, three, two, one, hi, we're back, and this is my... So they thought to do, to boost business, to bring in three old stars and ask them to do their acts from 1968. The last one was Charo. I was excited to meet Charo only because of who Charo was and growing up watching Charo. It was fascinating to watch her temper her act from 1968 to a matinee audience she actually slowed some things because it's an older audience and she just you could see her temper what she needed to do got the same reaction for each show for an older more hip audience or an older um, matinee audience to watch her temper the same exact show but get the same reaction from different audiences it was fascinating and that's what John did just to see him perform and if he felt it was slipping he would just bring them right back up and because they, those people were so well-rounded. They were trained in a way that schools are not training kids today. It's fascinating to watch kids coming into the business and see that they're not getting what the old stars did. That's a whole other can of worms. <laughs> I think it's actually a, it's, it's something that I think about a lot because I believe that there's this performance aspect of what's going on now. I think it's great that we have YouTube and we have ways mm-hmm. that we can push ourselves out into the world. But the, when we are, instead of just pushing ourselves out there and saying, look at me, here I am, here's my selfie. Um, if we're able to actually have a back and forth with people, then that really it raises the conversation to a different level. Right. And, and I think that that's the piece that if we could really get to that, that would make everything richer for all involved. And also, I think because of social media where it is now, uh, the show Glee, which I was a huge fan of, but I think everyone thought they could be stars. The old, the studio system wasn't that way. You worked your way up and you had to start from the bottom and pay your dues to get to where those people ended up. And I I think that's been inverted in some ways. People want to just be a star instead of doing the work. 
it's funny because people have said to me, you know, what what was your goal? I said I wanted to be in my forties and fifties and be respected and work all the time. Well, I reached that and thought, no, I should have had a, I should have gone a higher higher aspiration. But it, it's a, it's about the work and making the work speak for itself and not just being a star. That that there are a lot of people get confused by that. I mean, I went to Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh and back in 1904 there were really five schools that would kick people into the business it was nyu juilliard carnegie mellon cincinnati conservatory of music was coming up and northwestern well now there were so there were five schools there were only 10 in my class only four people graduated so they would weed you out it's fascinating now that every college has a an arts program that they say is so great and they're kicking all these kids and now what used to be maybe 20 people coming into the business every may when they graduated there's now a couple of thousand over over probably tens of thousands because every school has these arts programs that think and they can just come in and and so there's the jobs are not there for everyone coming into the business now and that's why it's gotten so tough and a lot of the kids don't have the training that is really needed to make it. But the business is so strange, too. They can get a break, have a hit show, and then they don't work for the next 20 years. So it's it's such a fickle, bizarre business. You have to have it in your blood, unfortunately. And people say to me, what do you tell kids? I say, if you have an option, take it. You know, if you want to go into the show business, but you also want to be a doctor, be the doctor. Because you have to, it has to be everything in your system to want to do this if you have any doubt don't do it i love what you're saying because it actually jives with something that i feel very deeply and that is that anything that one wants to do there is something that happens over time maybe it's the malcolm gladwell ten thousand hours Mm -hmm. there's something that happens when you sit within whatever it is you're doing whether you're a singer whether you're um, a classical pianist, whether you're a writer, whether you're a doctor, really, there's something that comes about by kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say struggling with, sometimes it's struggling with, but working with right. whatever it is. And that, and you're right, yeah, on one hand, you could be the person who gets a break, but then even if you are the person who gets a break, haven't you maybe missed out on that that opportunity to work with whatever it is that yes. you love? And And that's another thing I would say to someone, if you have a job, I think it was John Gilgood said, never turn a job down. Only turn a job down if there's a conflict. But if you're just, if there's if nothing going on and it's a, there's no, and it truly is, there's no small roles, only small actors, because you never know where doing a small role in something will lead to the next. Networking is huge in this business. And that's because I did work regionally and uh, traveled the country and traveled the world actually doing concerts just having your name out there and getting people to know that they can call on you a friend of mine had done a chorus line for five years and then cats for seven and when he his body was breaking down said i've got to leave the business he said i have no i've just been on broadway for seven years now what do i do and it was interesting to think he didn't have the contacts that I had made traveling so much and I could call people and say you know can I is something that I could do in your show or so networking is huge in this business and I think the more that you do and the more that you learn whether it be small or large it, it really just builds in the momentum of your path what is it about Maine do you think that um, 
makes us want to come here in the summer and engage in whether it's being in the orchestra up at Bowdoin College or being doing summer stock or I know that there are ballet camps around the state or even just being an artist um well not just being an artist but being an artist it's funny it's the arts community is huge up here and I was I was pleased and surprised to see that my first experience up here was with the Agunquit Playhouse in 1987 and to see how they have changed that theater because it was truly a two-week summer stock theater when I started working there and now it's a a viable great regional theater um, and then working up at Main State with Bowdoin College and seeing what it's just I think the summer aspect of coming to a great place that is and the vibe up here is just it's palpable of all the arts and I think that's what attracts people does that make sense yeah yeah it does I mean I, th- I think about some of the I don't know most meaningful times I ever had in the summer were actually at the Main State Music Theater for mm-hmm. example because that's where I happened to live was Yarmouth so we would go up there and we would watch a summer show and and I can even feel it as I'm talking to you now feel what that was like to be yeah. there in the summer in that theater watching the actors up it's a great energy stage. and people are thrilled to be here and as simple as it does sound, to get out of New York City in the summer is a blessing. So to have this kind of, these venues where you can come to a beautiful place, first of all, and do quality work, like I said, that the vibe is palpable. It's just, I've never, truly, I've never seen anything I thought, oh, that wasn't very good. It, it, it always, because you want to do it and you want to be here, it makes the show that much stronger. Do you have anything exciting coming up for 2017? Do you have? Are you already working on that schedule? I've created a folder on my computer called Talent Search because so with the success thus far of the theater, a lot of agents have contacted me with new acts, and the people who have been here have talked already. So we, I'm not sure when we're reopening yet, but there will be a full season practically already just from the folder I have. If people want to come here. How late in how late in the fall does Vinegar Hills? We are open? closing October eighth this year. Uh, it's not winterized, and it's funny because people have come in and said, "Why aren't you going later?" And I said, "See that crack in that that board right there? Snow will be coming in there." Uh, the new air conditioning system does have heat, but to keep it going, all we're going to go till October eighth and see how that works. And hopefully, go longer into the year, further down the line. But for now, we're closing October 8th, and we'll reopen probably sometime next June. And I'm surmising that. We haven't discussed it yet. I enjoyed the time that I spent at the Vinegar Hill Music Theater, and I encourage people to go to the website for Vinegar Hill, which we'll have on our show notes page. Mm -hmm. I think that you've had a broad variety of really interesting people coming in for this season, and it sounds like 2017 will be no different, really. Yes, it's funny because I was I talked to someone last night at a cookout about they said you could bring the people back you've already had because some of the shows have sold out and I mean, bringing back by popular demand there were so many people that couldn't get in for instance on Saturday night the Drifters we actually I had booked Larry Gatlin for the twentieth of August and he has to have back surgery so his recovery time was right in his date so we tried to find something in October it didn't work with his side or our side. So I said, we'll get them in 2017, but I had to find something that would have the same name recognition. 
and a friend of mine at one of the agents said how about the drifters and i thought oh my god they have the drifters here well they sold out immediately as soon as i announced it so even then we could and ronan tynan said you should have booked me for two nights i said well who knew i didn't i was we were thrilled to have you one night so i think maybe next year we can also do more than one night because people have been saying when you see a show you want to talk about it and then suddenly it goes away that next day so it's maybe we will do two and three night engagements because a lot of people it, it, it could support that I appreciate your coming in and talking with me today. I hope that people will go to the show notes page and learn more about the Vinegar Hill Music Theater. We've been speaking with George Dvorsky, who is an accomplished actor and entertainer in his own right, who brings a deep and diverse experience with him to the Vinegar Hill Music Theater. Thanks for coming in today. My pleasure. It was fun. Enjoyed it. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants, The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch Lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit theroomsportland.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is Portland's largest gallery, and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space. The current show schedule includes Ruth Hamill, Joanne Parent, Alan Bunker, and Jean Jack. For complete show details, please visit our website, artcollectormaine.com. It's always my great pleasure to speak with people whose names I have known for quite a while, although they obviously don't know my name. In this case, this is Carol Noonan, who is an American folk singer and songwriter, who along with her husband, Jeff Flagg, a commercial fishing net builder, runs the Stone Mountain Arts Center, which is a music hall behind their house in Brownfield, Maine. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. And I first heard about you um, because you are the lead singer and songwriter for the band Knots and Crosses. And you were a big deal. You are a big deal still. But that I remember this very vividly. That I think I was a bigger deal then. <laughs> I'm just bigger now. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> but I think it's it, yeah. It was a great time. We got signed to a big record deal, and we had that kind of whirlwind thing that happens to musicians, or what they hope happens to them. So it's been an interesting path to where we are now, and you know, but. It, they're always short-lived, those label deals, and um, I'm glad I always kept it in perspective and was always looking ahead to the next thing because you need to do that when you're a musician. Obviously, most musicians know that, but um, it's we're having a music hall now behind our house is such a funny way to kind of... I'm probably towards the end of my career. I'm almost 60, so, you know, I'm not going out on tour and, <laughs> and you know I did still just do a record but you know I feel like I'm towards the end and I didn't want to be touring and just doing the same old thing so I'm kind of taking everything I ever did in my life seems to be being used now in this job that I've got now which is kind of interesting. You're you're from an Irish family. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that family background. What do you know of your family? Um, they're from the Cork area, County Cork, and um, my my dad was a building wrecker, 
and my mom was a stay-at-home mom with five kids and um, you know we, we I went to Catholic school for 12 years and I had that kind of typical upbringing and um, but I always could sing so I went to a, a wing conservatory and kind of got that taste of this of the arts and the city life because I'd never really had that growing up we really weren't an artsy family by any means you know we were very blue collar and um, but I was always drawn to folks folk music and my brothers and sisters had their those records and I listened to them so that was kind of how I got started in it but I was kind of this you know, normal kid, but I could sing. So it, it was kind of a weird start, but um, I, I quickly decided I wanted to do music in some way. So were your parents from County Cork? No, no, my mom, no, we're, we're American Irish. You're, you're from, no, I love when you're you from Peabody. We, yeah, we're from Peabody. And um, my, my grandparents came off the boat, but, um, you know, it was a very normal kind of Peabody, Peabody lifestyle, <laughs> but um, I came to Maine when I was 19 as a, uh, at Quisasana Resort, which is over in Center Level, Maine, and fell in love with the area, and I ended up working there for 10 years and staying in the area, and I just fell in love with that part of Maine. It's a really beautiful part, the lakes and the mountains, it's kind of my favorite part of Maine, and I feel like sometimes it's the forgotten part. You know, everything's so focused on the coast sometimes, especially the arts. Um, so it was really important that we opened a place that was year-round so that we would have it all the time, not just in the summertime. So that was kind of where we ended up. Well, I'm, I guess the reason I keep perseverating, if that's the word, on the Irish thing is because that my mom's side of the family is Irish. And I have actually I have a cousin Kathleen who looks remarkably, you, there's a resemblance there. And it is her side of the family that really seems to have more of the musicality. Yeah. And I, I, I know that Irish music, there's, there's a, it has its own very different and very specific sound to it. And I wonder how much of that actually does translate into the music you yourself have, have performed, written. Well, I think it's, it's definitely in it. My, my dad listened to Irish music constantly. That's all we heard in the house. We heard the Irish Hour every Saturday, and he had his Irish records down in the basement, and we heard that a lot. And, of course, I hated it as a kid. You know, I couldn't stand it, you know, and um, he belonged to the AOH, and he was always dragging me down there to sing Danny Boy at some bean supper or corned beef dinner or whatever it was. And, it, you know, I kind of hated it then, but when I started getting into music and writing my own, all those melodies and that redundant kind of way the music flows started creeping into my own music too and I had been listening to folk music which is has tons of that influence in it so it was definitely a, a, a strong influence whether I liked it or not and and the older I got the more I embraced you know you embrace what you hated when you were a kid you wish you would remember that <laughs> you wish you would know that when you were a kid but don't we all have yeah. to kind of reject where we came from before yeah. we can circle back around exactly. and kind of exactly. be comfortable with it? Although I don't think I'm going to go back to Peabody. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll embrace some of it, but not not too much of it. Well, this I, I was listening to your album before you came in, Raven Girl, and 
um, the cover art is is beautiful, and the music itself is it's sort of it's interesting. It's haunting. There's something that's really, I mean, it's there's it's very lyrical, but there's something that's I don't know wistful, haunting. There's something about it that is is different than many albums. Well, their music was very haunting. Richard and Mimi Farina. Um, wrote most of the songs that are on the album and Tony Harbert did the cover he's a local photographer that I love and he's done most of my record covers and I I really wanted um, to capture that part of 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 her, her, Mimi especially I just felt like she was a haunting kind of presence and and their story is so tragic and I just loved that but when I was listening to it as a kid I really never listened to lyrics. I didn't understand what it was about. I wasn't really drawn to that part of it. I was drawn to the melodies, and it definitely affected how I wrote my own music later on and, and what I liked. I just loved I loved dark melodies. I love minor keys, and they just had this kind of beautiful, um, original way of doing harmony that nobody else was doing. And it was hard to do the record and figure out where the melody was they they always sang together throughout the whole it was never a backup part or a you know they he would come in on the chorus or anything like that they play they sang together throughout the whole song so sometimes it's really hard to tell what the actual melody was and maybe there wasn't maybe they wrote it together i i just don't know but so when i did my versions of the songs i did the best i could to to pick out what I felt was the the more dominant melody in the songs, but um, and changed it a little bit as far as how we approach the arrangements. But it it's, it'd be interesting if somebody knew <laughs> what what it was supposed to be. But I guess that's what's great about interpreting music. There's no rules there. So you've had some pretty big names out in Brownfield, and. You've been doing this for how long now? Um, we had our tenth anniversary in August, so it was—it's pretty amazing. If I'd ever thought, you know, I would say Lyle Lovett and Aaron Neville would be <laughs> my backyard. I, I would, you know, think you were crazy, but um, but everybody else thought we were crazy, and we did do it, I guess. But it's been great. It's it's kind of a respite for artists, which was a thing I really wanted to do. I wanted it to be special for artists and for the audience, so it's it, it's de- definitely different. It's it's a little frozen in time. We're not on Facebook. We're not connected socially like everybody else is. We're just kind of up there in the middle of nowhere. And when people drive up, I'm still shocked that they <laughs> they drive up the road and they come. And when the room fills up, it is kind of that. Oh my. Oh my God! What were what were we thinking, and how lucky did how lucky did we get that they actually did come? Because this could have been a really stupid idea, but but I guess. But um, I think the bigger shows that's been an that was always something I wanted to do was bring big artists to a small room, so you'd get to see them in that original way of of seeing them perform in the when they used to play small rooms and small clubs because you get to see their hands and their face and they talk to the audience in a way they don't do in a big room because you just can't so it's a very different experience to see those kinds of artists up close and it, it's been awesome and they they really love it and they love the 
the way we've made sure that they have what they need and there's nothing there so we have everything from batteries to you know anything they could need any you know rollades <laughs> you know just everywhere they go there's baskets of little pockets of things that they they might have to stop at a store for but we've got for them and we feed them like crazy and they come back and that's the whole idea it is um I, I've been out to Brownfield, believe it or not, many times. We we used to go regularly to the, the Sakopee Valley. Um, we used to go on the Saco River. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was where we... Um, and and you're right, there isn't really a lot out there, but it was uh, really very beautiful. I remember it, you know, there's, there's a lot of fields and trees, and then mm-hmm. there are these bodies of water that just kind of yeah. spring up and... Um, there's something very, I don't know, peaceful about it. Yeah. In a way that doesn't seem frenetic like the coasts can be sometimes. Yeah. And I love the coast. It's it's not us versus the coast, but it is, it has got a, um, I think more people are living there year round. I think the, 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 just the, the economy in these town, in those rural towns versus the coastal economy, it's, it's different, you know, the, the people that are coming to our place are also working in our hospitals and our stores and and our, our car. I always say there's a carpenter for every tree in Brownfield. Everybody's a carpenter. Everybody, you know, everybody that works there is that lives there is is kind of the same class too. I I think um, financially, it's a people are closer in their you know in what in their income bracket than than a lot of towns in Maine there's not that extreme like some towns in Maine so it, there's a feel there that's that's kind of normal you know that's kind of constant it doesn't get that changed by the by the seasons or the tourist seasons so it's it was really important to me when i would come off the road there would be nothing to do in the area unless we came to portland or um traveled so i I often would rent, I used to rent this church nearby and do a Christmas concert. And I thought, you know, they, I can't be so great that people are coming to see me every year for this stupid thing. They're coming because there's nothing else to do. It's Saturday night, it's near the house, and they're coming. And it just made me feel like um, in rural towns you have to make your own kind of world and your own entertainment and and they do in many ways that's what the Grange halls have always done and and those kinds of places but I I did want to take it a step further I wanted really great music to come up to our area in a special way so um, I hope I've done that and I, I think we have but it's really become a tourist place too we've I would say 75% of our audience is coming from outside of Maine, which is kind of amazing. Lots of Massachusetts folks coming up for the weekend to see an artist they love in this way. So I'm hoping it it also helps the local economy. It's getting people in hotels and restaurants and that kind of thing. So hopefully it's a trickle-down place too. What type of feedback do you get from the artists who come out and perform with you? Um, they, They really love it. They... They just, it's not like any place else. And and they, 
they know everybody. The artists, the big artists that have come back, remember people's names. They, they're they're just they have a routine. You know, when Bela Fleck comes, he he always knows. He always says, you know, did you make the veggie chili or you know, the, like they remember the food or they remember how they're taken care of, and. And they say it on stage, and I think they really mean it. You know, artists always say, you know, hey, we love Brownfield, you know, but there's a way that they speak about um, our place that's, that's so moving. When we had our 10th anniversary, lots of them sent us little clips and little photos and just saying, you know, we love Brownfield and we love Stone Mountain. And um, it's just, it's they're more involved with us, I think, than most venues. Um, when Mavis Staples comes, it's like our our aunt is here to visit, you know. And she, every time she comes, she calls me up on stage, and I end up singing a tune with her. Which, if if I died tomorrow, that would I would have already done such a great thing in my life, and that would be it. That would be like the thing you just okay. I'm good. <laughs> I can go now because singing with her and and being involved with her, and she'll come out on stage and and say hi to everybody and and thank everybody and remember my mom and remember my sisters that were only there a couple of times when she was there and you know so it's it's a very personal experience for the artists when they come to us and um, they talk about it a lot we hear other artists that come see us for the first time say we've been hearing about this place for a year we've been on the road and that's all we ever hear about you know and so um, that's great when they're talking about you all over the country. That's that's pretty cool. When you're in Brownfield, that's very cool. Is there something about Maine that um, brings the music to life? I think there's something about Maine. Certainly, we could never have done this anywhere else. We always say that. Only in Maine could you do something like this place because there's things like this all over in Maine you know unique businesses unique little spots that are unlikely but I think Maine people are so up for anything and and they're independent and they if they decide they want to to create something they just do it they don't it doesn't matter where they are I love that I that's my favorite thing about Maine and um I I think that that kind of independent spirit always brings out the best in the arts. You know, it's always goes hand in hand. And I, I think musically, when you're treated well, when you have a good experience, a show is always better. I, I, I always say our shows with artists I've seen, a lot of the artists that come I've already seen quite a bit or been on, been on tour and seen them on, been on festivals with them or, or seen them out they do different shows at our place and I I don't think it's just us I think coming to this environment and feeling good about where you are just makes you play a great show you know if you're happy you're going to do a great show if you're not the show's going to be dialed in no artist ever really does a bad show most of the time I think it's a job like everybody else's job and sometimes there are good nights and bad nights but um, generally I think when they're inspired you know the, sh- the music shows and they certainly do that at our place and I, I bet they do it at a lot of places in Maine in order to do the work that you do it, you have to be willing to be really 
everything. You have to be the yeah. chief cook and bottle washer, as my mom used to say. Yeah. And I'm wondering if, as a girl from Peabody who went to the New England Conservatory, if you ever had a sense that this would be your lot in life, to be a musician, a singer, a songwriter who also took care of all of these other singer-songwriter, musician, entertainers who came to perform? Well, you know, like most musicians, I grew up working in restaurants, so it was a normal transition. You know, I was lucky enough to be able to have a music career after working in restaurants, and that's always what you're striving for, And but it never it never leaves you. You know, I, I'm, I always say I'm so uniquely qualified for the job I'm doing now because it, it's taken every single aspect of everything I've ever done in my life and put it in one place. Um, it's where I live. It's, it's who I married. It's, you know, it, it, it's, it's everything. It, I do shows there occasionally, and, um, but most of the time I'm the chef. I book the acts, I arrange everything. I do pretty much everything. And it's a lot of work. I didn't probably see myself working so hard at this age. Um, it's probably the hardest I've ever worked in my life. But it's also, it, it's so great. I'm in my own bed every night instead of being away from home. And I get to hear all this great music and we have the best staff in the world. So just being around them and having that experience of this family of people um, that we've had for a long time. Uh, most of the staff has been there from the beginning. So just having that relationship has been s so great, you know, at this point in my life to have all these young people around us that that are so dear to us. We don't have children. Maybe that's maybe that's the closest thing we will we um, we will ever experience as as far as the children thing goes because they are kind of like kids but it, it's been a it, it wasn't what I saw myself doing but it, it was definitely a natural progression to it and I was definitely getting tired of playing gigs I just I just felt like musically I wasn't enjoying it I didn't feel like the venues were presenting music well anymore um, that was another reason I wanted to do it I, I felt like the even the big venues weren't weren't nobody was owner operated anymore and that makes a big difference in when when outside promoters are are presenting shows in rooms it it, it just changes the feel of it not that it's bad it's just different and and I just felt like I wanted to do it a little off the grid and a little more um, human I guess as I'm listening, I'm, I'm really interested in this idea that you you're, you happen to be almost in the right place at the right time for this type of venture, that I yeah. think people have really been hungering and thirsting for these authentic, intimate experiences with the people that create music, that these promoters and the big acts, those obviously still exist, and it's kind of like the parallel universe, but... We've now come to a place where people want to get their hands in the dirt again. They yeah. want to do their own gardening, their own cooking. They really want to live this richer life. And, well, I think they want that in every kind of business, too. I, th I think that's you're finding people are, are more drawn to small businesses and mom-and-pop places more than ever. But the live music scene is, is really vital right now because um, 
performers aren't selling music like they did. It's it's a very um, crazy time in the music business right now if you're a recording artist and and to, the younger artists don't even know the the times of selling music, but we did sell music. You know that was kind of how we made our living, and now it's just not there. So they're having to get out and play again and. Oh, I would, I would have hated that. <laughs> so it's a, it, it, you know, when you put out a record now, it's almost a narcissistic project to do it you know, because you, you're probably not going to sell a lot of it, but you're, you need to do it for yourself. You know, I, I really wanted to do a, a project this last couple of years, and I didn't have time. I didn't really need to do it. I wasn't. I'm not out on the road. Um, I don't have really a a good format to sell it you know to to make to make it worthwhile to do it but I had to do it just creatively you know and that musicians will always do that but if you're really trying to make a living you now you've got to get back out and play live so there's a lot of music when we opened um, there were so many venues not open yet you know we opened the state wasn't open Raul's, which is an old old place, but they were closed. All the all the places in Portland that, when I was coming up, were, had a vi- where there was a vital music scene was were closed. So when we opened, it was a good time to to start because people were hungry for a venue too, just in our immediate area. And artists were looking for a leg because there really wasn't one in Portland for that those first years. And then it started happening. And then of course. The recession hit, so we we our timing was good and it was bad, but but we got through it and um, and we've got a lot more competition now because everybody because artists are performing so much. There's a lot more live music happening, but people are still coming to us for a special experience, and you know there's something for everybody everywhere. I guess that's for people who have been listening i will refer you to our show notes page and um, we will direct you towards the website for the stone mountain arts center i've been speaking with carol noonan who is an american folk singer songwriter she and her husband jeff flag a commercial fishing net builder run the stone mountain arts center a music hall behind their house in brownfield maine thanks for coming in today thank you thanks for having us in the big city You've been listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 265, Entertaining Maine. Our guests have included George Dvorsky and Carol Noonan. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Love, Maine Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love, Maine Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa and see my running, travel, food, and wellness photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love, Maine Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love, Maine Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our entertaining Maine show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of Berlin City Honda, the rooms by Harding Lee Smith, Maine Magazine, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music have been provided by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producer is Paul Koenig. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. 
Our Community Development Manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our host's production team, Main Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.